0: Well, I'd like to welcome everyone out to the Tuesday evening Exegeting Galatians Bible Study live via internet. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Kehilat Nova, which is a congregation in Thornton, Colorado. You're welcome to join me every Tuesday evening from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We meet every week to look at the book of Galatians using the commentary that I composed. Currently, as of this uh, recording, it is about 150 pages or so, and it's available online at my website at www.tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H dot com. Look up the very top. There's a little navigation section. Just click on the link that says Exegeting Galatians, and you can scroll down to their page and access. You can view or print the web, the uh, PDF document, or you can... Um, click and follow chapter by chapter or section by section and read each, uh, read along that way on the website. Let's open with some prayer. I'll open some liturgy and I'll read some liturgy and then we'll get started with the study tonight. Let's pray. Avinu, Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we come before you tonight and we humble ourselves before you. We say, Holy Spirit, come into our midst. Drive out the darkness and send forth your light cause us to worship Yeshua afresh, cause us to praise the Son of God for the things that he has done, for the love that he sends into our hearts, for the spirit that works miracles among us. Thank you, Lord, that you have preserved the words of the book of Galatians for us. Thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to write the words. Thank you for challenging him to take the gospel to both Jew and Gentile. And helping them to realize that in Messiah, there's no prerequisite. Uh, Our ethnicity doesn't have to rise to the forefront in order for you to recognize us and to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us whole. But Father, you have reached out and in your intense love for us, you have forgiven us and you have caused us to be uh, made new in your son Yeshua. So Lord, we ask that you will bless us tonight. And that you'll continue to raise us up, and help us to be a people seeking your face, and we pray all those things in Yeshua's name, Amen. Okay, let's uh, let's date stamp this recording. Uh, today is Tuesday, March first, two thousand sixteen, and we are in week nineteen, and we are just chugging right along. Uh, remember, schedule wise, we have ten week semesters. And since this is week 19, we're fast approaching the end of our second semester. So we will meet next week. But then after that, we'll take a break for two weeks. And then we'll start again with another round of um, uh, t- of a 10-week semester and start with week 20, uh, 21 uh, after our two-week break. Okay? And as I mentioned earlier, I recommend as a teacher that you take the two-week breaks to, say, go back over the material. Um review things that you may have missed or uh, that uh, maybe you're absent during one of the classes, things like that. And, of course, as a teacher, if you have questions of me, please email me. If you're subscribed to the Galatians material, which I hope all of you listening are, uh, the Galatians course, which is free, then you can um, just reply to the email that I send to you, uh, uh, Yeshua613 at hotmail.com, Y E S H U A number six, number one, number three, at hotmail.com, and you can shoot me an email if you have questions or comments about the notes. Otherwise, um, if you're not subscribed, then just visit my website, tatezeitor.com, scroll to the very bottom of any webpage, any of the pages, and And down at the very bottom, there's a little icon that looks like an envelope. Click on that, and you can shoot me an email as well. Okay? Let's read a little bit of liturgy. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, uh, 20 through 25, and I'm going to read it interlinear fashion. What I mean by that is this time, instead of reading from the ESV and then jumping over into the Hebrew, I'm going to actually read a little bit of English, and then I'm going to back it up with a little bit of Hebrew, so I'll read, like, say, a, a... a few sentences in English, and I'll read you a few sentences in Hebrew. And what'll be different about this uh, time around is that there is actually no version that I'm really reading from. Rather, I'm reading the uh, an interlinear version, meaning there's Hebrew and English, and the the English that's accompanying the Hebrew is more or less what we call a wooden translation, meaning it's kind of word for word. There's no real version that follows it. So it's not necessarily my own translation, but it is somewhat my own translation from the Hebrew or from the Greek, etc. So let's go that direction and see if that works. For those of you who are in the live class with me, um, look on your screen and you'll see, uh, I'll just go verse by verse. I'll say verse 20, and then I'll read a little bit, and then I'll say verse 21, one, and then I'll read a little bit, and we'll go like that, until we get through the, the five verses, okay? So, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 20, uh, and we'll read through 25, but starting in verse 20 reads... When asks your son you in time to come, saying, Ki vincha What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments that the Lord our God has commanded? And the Hebrew reads, Verse 21, then you shall say to your son, "Va'mar'eta levincha, slaves we were to Pharaoh in Egypt, avadim hayinu lefaro b'mitzrayim, and brought us out the Lord of Egypt hand with a mighty." Hope you guys are understanding this. V'yotzi enu adonai m'mitzrayim beyad chazaka. Verse twenty-two. And showed the Lord signs and wonders great and very against Egypt. I'm sorry, Umuftim gedolim v'ra'im Bemitsraim on Pharaoh and on all his household before our eyes. Bafaro Uchol beto Leenu first uh oops, sorry. Verse twenty three and he brought from there to the end that from there that he might bring us in Votanu Hotsi Misham Lemaan Havi Otanu to give to us the land that he swore to our fathers Latetlanu Asher Nishba Verse twenty four and commanded the lord us to do all statutes va adonai latsot et kol hahukim these to fear the lord our god to for our good always hayleh yelire et adonai lochinu latov lanu kol that he might preserve us alive lchayenu l'chayotenu, it is day hazeh as the as, as at this hazeh that's what that means. And the final verse. This is a little little choppy, but I apologize. Uh, the final verse, verse twenty-five, and our righteousness uzedekah to it shall be if tishia lanu ki if we observe to. Observe all lausot et commands these hamitzvah hazot, before the Lord our God lifni adonai elohinu, as kaashir, he has commanded and that's it for the Hebrew. As if that wasn't confusing enough, I apologize. This is a little new. I'm trying something a little new. Let me see if I can practice the English a little better. the Hebrew is fine for me, but. As when I'm trying to translate the Hebrew, the the, the English part, I get a little twisted because I'm trying to, I'm I'm trying to resist the urge to simply read it the way I'm reading it and trying to smooth it out a little bit. So we'll work on that. Anyway, let's jump over to the Greek. This one will be a little easier because, the, as I mentioned, uh, the Greek is reads a little. The syntax of the Greek, the word order is what syntax means. The Greek is a little smoother than the Hebrew was. So let's read some Greek. We'll do the same thing. Hebrew reads right to left. I'm sorry, Greek reads left to right, just like English does. So, let's read this. Oh, foolish... By the way, I'm reading Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Um, And I might read verses 10 through 14 as well, skipping the, the middle verses 6 through 9. But we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Uh, let's read this. This is Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Again, there's no particular version. This is not ESV or KJV or in, NIV or anything like that. This is simply more or less a, a wooden translation from the Greek. So the English reads O foolish Galatians, O Anoita Galatai, who, you, has bewitched Tis Humas Abaskanen, the truth not obeying, Te Alethia me Petestai. Whose before eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, Huis cat of Thalmus Jesus Christos proegrafe, as having been crucified. Verse 2. This only I wish to learn from you. Tuto manon fellow mathen human. By works of the law, ex ergonamu the spirit, to penuma, did you receive elabete? Or by hearing with faith? E ex aqueis pestios. Verse 3. So foolish are you. Hutos anoitoi este. Having begun in the spirit, in archs amenoi, pneumati. Now, nun, in the flesh are you being perfected? Sarki epiteleste. Verse 4. So many things did you suffer in vain, to sauta, epatete, eke? If indeed also in vain, ege, kai eke. Verse five. The one therefore supplying to you the spirit, ho un epokorigon human toponoma, and kai working miracles among you, in ergon dunames en humen. Is it by works of the law, ex ergo namu, or a by ex akwe, uh, hearing with faith, aque pistios? I think I will read the next uh, four verses. Uh, this is continuing uh, Galatians chapter 3. Now we're in verse 10, and we're going to read down through verse 14. Because of the phrase works of the law, ergo namu, that's the phrase we're, we're kind of highlighting, um, and that's the one I want to single out for those of you who are following along with me. If you're in the live class, I'll, I'm highlighting it right now with the little pointer. Ergon Namu. Or if you can read the translator, there's ergon Namu, which is works of law. Alright, uh, let's read. Verse 10. As many as indeed of works of the law, Josue got ex ergon Namu, are under a curse. Asin hupo kataran. R. It has been written, indeed, Gegraptai gar. Hati. Cursed is everyone who not epikataratas pas has uk does continue all things. I should say not does continue all things. Uk emene pasin. Having been written, twice gegramenois in the book, into biblio, of the law, Tu namu, to to do them, to puiesai alta. Verse eleven: That moreover by the law no one is justified. Hati de inamu udes de kaiutai para to God. To it is evident. De because the righteous by faith will live. Hati ho de kaios ekpistios zaisai. Verse twelve. Moreover, Hode, the law, namos, not is of faith, estin ek pistios. Rather, the one having done these things, hopwesais auta, will live by them. Zeisatai in autois. Verse 13. Christ us redeemed from the curse of the law. Christos Hemos exgorsen ectes caritas tu namu having become for us a curse, genomenos hupur hemon katara. For, hati, it has been written, gegraptai, cursed everyone hanging on a tree, epikatharatas paschos kremomenos epikathulu. And verse 14, that to the Gentiles the blessing of Abraham. Hina esta ethne he eulogia tu Abraham might come in Jesus Christ genetai en Jesu Christo that the promise of the Spirit Hina ten tu pneumatas, we might receive through faith labomen dia despistios Okay, Amen. That's our... uh. Liturgy for this evening, a little different. thought I'd try something a little different for you all. And what I'm going to do tonight, if you all remember from last week, I hope you did listen to last week's recording, you'll recall that we're reading through Section 3, Works of Law, Part 1, Proselyte Conversion, Understanding the Background. And we've made our way through the first page or so, let me scroll up and down into the commentary, we're actually on page, if you call, we left off on page 18 with the paragraph, uh, big lengthy quote from the Talmud. If you're in the live class, I've got the um, paragraph pulled up for you. It's a big lengthy quote that starts out, A rabbi's taught, if at the present time a man desires to become a proselyte. And if you remember from last week, what I did is I read through the notes for, I don't know, about 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then I turned to begin exegeting Romans chapters 2 and 3. And I'm going to do that again tonight for us. I'm going to see if I can show you how that my understanding of the false phrase, works of the law, doesn't merely bring in the idea of keeping the Torah. Although, don't get me wrong, it does include that element of keeping the Torah. Works of the law, in my opinion, my understanding, it does include keeping the Torah. But it doesn't merely uh, imply keeping the Torah routinely for the ostensible sake of bringing the member into the covenant. And that's the challenge that I'm making to my uh, Christian friends and family. I propose that works of law includes this ethnocentric Jewish element. What I mean by that is, works of law was being uh, utilized by the Judaisms of Paul's day to speak not only of the Jewish identity that covenant members um, had to have legal standing Jewish identity. It was a prerequisite to be a covenant member in first century Israel. So works of law includes that Jewish element, but also works of law included what what would be described by E.P. Sanders as maintenance of covenant membership. That is, the Jewish people of Paul's day were believing, they were hoping, they were trusting that not only by being Jewish, they were brought into the covenant, but that by maintaining their um, obedience and loyalty to the Torah, that God would reckon them as righteous, that God would credit their account as righteous. And we have to really work with this phrase, righteousness, as well. And we'll get that to that in a moment. But suffice to say for now, Paul is going to disagree that works of law would include the prerequisite to be Jewish and Paul would disagree that works of the law that is keeping the Torah would uh, keep you in the covenant. And the reason he disagrees with both of these sides of works of law, both of these elements, if I could use that phrase, element, then the reason he disagrees is because both placing your faith in your Jewish ethnicity as well as placing your trust in your, your Torah obedience, both of those are going to bypass the true elements of faith, which must be genuine faith in God, viz. faith, genuine faith in Messiah. And so that's why Paul's going to have problems with that. Plus, at the very least, to to suppose like the Jewish people were in his day, that your ethnicity was what got you into the covenant, um, to believe in a in word that the covenant made with Abraham was for Jews only— runs counter to the genuine gospel that that through faith in Messiah, anyone can be a covenant member. And that's going to really be the the meat of Paul's consternation. And for that reason, it's going to be the meat of my commentary. Because we, as genuine believers in Messiah, when we're reading through the book of Galatians, we must, we must, we must affirm the central truth that in Messiah, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And what I mean by that is there's no prerequisite To have an ethnicity that God would approve of prior to receiving you into the people group of God. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, before you can be, to use modern 21st century Christian lingo, you don't have to be a Jew before you can be saved any more than you have to be a Gentile before you can be saved. That's what Paul's trying to get across to the ethnocentric Jewish exclusive um uh policies that were being implemented in his day that were being enforced by the people by the Jewish people of his day uh, uh, Jewish ethnicity should not be a prerequisite to be counted as genuine a, a genuine a lasting covenant member and so Paul is going to prove this by showing that Abraham wasn't even circumcised viz Abraham wasn't a Jew when he was counted as righteous viz saved by God in Genesis 15:6 and that is a central Theme of the book of Galatians, that our righteousness, our forensic righteousness, our salvation is rooted in the finished work of Christ and not rooted in either A, our ethnicity, or B, our Torah obedience. Amen? Okay, so that's where I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of my commentary is by focusing on this phrase, works of the law. So let's pick up the reading of my commentary. Uh, I need to make a correction. Last week, uh, let me pull up my little pointer Uh, For those of you who are in my class, look at this quote from the Talmud here, and you'll see I've got the little arrow pointed, the little blue arrow pointed on the word suet. And the sentence reads, furthermore, speaking of the proselyte, he is addressed thus, be it known to you that before you came to this condition, if you'd eaten suet, you would not have been punishable with kareth, which is the um, excommunication if you had profaned the sabbath you would not have been punishable with stoning but now were you to eat suet we've got the arrow pointed to that word suet again you would be punished with kareth uh, were you to profane the sabbath you would be punished with stoning the correction i didn't made is that last need to make is that last week i said that suet refers to pork i'm wrong i am wrong i went and i i got to thinking does suet mean pork that doesn't mean pork sui is a is a common Uh, nickname we say for pork, suey suey, but no, that's not what what suet means. So I stand corrected. I decided to Google search it. Suet doesn't refer to pork. Suet actually refers to animal fat, and it's the type of animal fat that's forbidden according to the Torah. For instance, Leviticus chapter 1, verse around 3 or 4, I want to say, God commands Israel, God forbids Israel from consuming a, a... a certain kind of fat that is found even on kosher animals. So even if you have a kosher kill, a kosher slaughter, there's a certain amount of um, meat and there's a certain amount of fat that's going to be included in the, in the animal, right? So there's there's a prescribed fat called chalev in Hebrew that God forbids us to eat as uh, covenant members. Both Jews and Gentiles who follow after Torah and keep the kosher laws are forbidden from eating this type of fat. And not to worry, because generally speaking, when you go to the store, this is a side note, but generally speaking, when you go to the store, most of that type of fat is trimmed away by the butcher before it even reaches you. So um, if, you, if you're shopping for meat and you're trying to keep kosher, um, just stick to the rule of trying to buy the leanest cut you can, and you'll be fine. That is that those lean cuts are essentially what the Bible is referring to when it says, um, don't eat the, the, the chelev which is the forbidden fat. The word chelev, the Hebrew word chelev is actually what is the original behind the, the English that we're reading here in the Talmud. I went and looked up the original Hebrew of the Talmud passage, and sure enough, it says, but if you were to eat chelev and that's what suet is. So suet is chalev. It is It is forbidden fat. And that could be the fat from a kosher animal, or certainly the fat from a non-kosher animal. But either way, it's not necessarily pork. It is actually forbidden fat. So I apologize for my ignorance there. But I'm not above learning. So let's keep going now into my commentary. I'm going to scroll down past the um, lengthy quote from the Talmud, and we're actually going to pick up the, the commentary reading uh, right here on verse... Uh, I'm sorry, with... the. Uh, Uh, page 19. Let's start reading there, and I'll read down, and then I'll stop and I'll explain a little bit. Okay? With regard to our text here in Galatians, in the words of Dr. Hung Shik Che, adjunct professor at Torch Trinity Graduate School of Theology right here in Seoul, South Korea, circumcision with its corresponding mark of Judaism was basically being forced upon the Gentiles wishing to join existing Jewish communities. Let's pick up a quote from Dr. Che. Quote, It is entirely likely, therefore, that the importance of circumcision as a prerequisite for becoming a Jew and as the mark of the convert to Judaism was the theological rationale of the agitators. Now let me interject. The word agitators there is the common designation of those who were opposing Paul, those who were um, supporting the standard Jewish party line that Jews and only Jews were covenant members and that Jews and only Jews were allowed to keep Torah and agitators is based on the english translation of um of the 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 greek uh i can't remember exactly the the, the the greek word at the moment but it's it's a greek word that's it's a uh, out of it's a translation of one of the um passages in galatians that we're going to get to it's i think it's in chapter 5 where paul says those who are troubling you i wish they would go and emasculate themselves and and some versions say those who are you, troubling you, but some versions say those who are agitating you, those agitators, those who are troubling you. And that's uh, why uh, Dr. Che calls them agitators. Some people call these these agitators or these these opponents of Paul, some people call them the Judaizers. And uh, those of you who have listened to my commentaries for a while know that I don't prefer that term Judaizer because I think it's actually a racial slur. I think it's it's pejorative. It, it, it's offensive to Jews and um, I'll tell you why a little later on in the commentary. So instead, I borrow the phrase that Mark Nenos, who's a Christian author, as well as Tim Haig, they have popularized in their commentaries, they call them influencers. So either one of those phrases is fine by me. Influencers, or agitators, or detractors, or the people troubling Paul, but either way, I recommend that you don't use Judaizer. If you, in fact, if you use the phrase Judaizer to a Jew you'll probably offend them. Because you know what the word Judaizer actually means? sane in Hebrew? I'm sorry, in Greek? You know what it means? It simply means to live like a Jew. And that's based on the Greek of of uh, Galatians 2.16, where, I'm sorry, um, Galatians 2.14, I believe, where Paul says to Peter, if you, who are a Jew, force the Gentiles to live like Jews... When you, a Jew, don't even live like Jews, you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And this phrase, live like Jews, is the, rendered from the Greek, and that's where we get the word or uh one of those cognates. And so the phrase, to live like a Jew, judaize, simply means to live like a Jew. And, and how else is a Jew supposed to live, right? Jesus was a Jew, and he lived like a Jew. So was Jesus a Judaizer? How about Paul? He lived like a Jew because he was a Jew. So was Paul a Judaizer? You get my point? Judaizer isn't really the best translation that we should use. I think it isn't the best term that we should use. I think we should steer away from that. So that was a little side rabbit that I chased. Let's keep reading Dr. Che. Um, Picking up the reading, they would have insisted, they, the agitators, would have insisted that the Galatians must enter through enter Israel through circumcision in order to become the people of God. For them, for these influencers, salvation is within Israel exclusively. Since the concept of Abraham as the prototypical proselyte was present in Judaism, and there are some references from the Book of Jubilees, from the Apocrypha, from Josephus, from Philo, from the um, Genesis Rabbah, um, since in those passages that Dr. Che references, basically... Um, Judaism saw Abraham as the prototypical proselyte, he was the first proselyte in their eyes, i.e. the father of the Jewish people, as a proselyte, albeit. Then, as J- Dr. Che continues, they may well have argued that the Galatians should be circumcised in order to be proselytes as Abraham was. At any rate, they no doubt argued that the only way for the Galatians, who were not Abraham's physical offspring, that is, aliens, to become the members of Abraham's family Who can inherit the Abrahamic blessings was by accepting circumcision, an entrance requirement into the people of God. So I hope you guys are kind of catching the intent of what of what Dr. Che is saying. And that's that the people in Galatians who were opposing Paul's message, who were probably Christians, by the way, those who were pushing the works of the law position, and who were themselves either Jewish by birth or Jewish by proselyte, by conversion, um, they were basically saying that, um, hey, our position is not too far-fetched, right? If they were trying to have this debate with Paul, hey, look, our position of, of converting to become a Jew is not too far-fetched. After all, Abraham became a Jew when he became circumcised, right? According to their view, that's what happened to Abraham. So, and, and you know, we have to kind of work with that, you know, is that really how what happened to Abraham in the text? We'll, we'll get to that a little later on, because I'm going to challenge that view. Let's keep reading through my commentary. We will hear more from Dr. Che later below. Sufficient for now is the importance of realizing that this proselyte conversion policy caused no small amount of grief to the apostle, to the Gentiles, which renders this misuse of circumcision, viz. Jewish identity, all the more tragic, given the fact that Paul actually still places value in circumcision itself. You have to read Romans 2.25, Romans 3, 1, and 2. However, even more unfortunate is the emerging Christian church's wholesale rejection of this covenantal sign as a relevant obedience marker in the communities of Hashem. Right? Let me pause and interject. It's no secret that essentially the Christian church has rejected Circumcision as a valuable sign among uh, believing communities today, right? Basically, um, based on the, the the historic Christian interpretation of Paul's writings, as well as their interaction with the Book of Acts and the particular the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Essentially, the Christian Church's um, position or their halacha, if I could say that, is that. Circumcision doesn't matter anymore. We don't we as adults do not need to concern ourselves with circumcising baby boys on the eighth day, and we certainly don't need to circumcise adults, adult males. So, in a word, circumcision is out and basically the Christian church has separated themselves. They have made a break from the existing Jewish community by taking the position that circumcision is done away with in Christ. And, of course, we all know that the prevailing Jewish position that survived from the first century and continues down to this day is that circumcision is indeed still valid, and that circumcision is indeed of value. And so, if we were to have this debate, if we were to have Paul on the stage, I'm sorry, if we were to have your average Christian on the stage and your average rabbi on the stage, and your rabbi was an unbeliever, and we were having this debate and the audience were to be uh, told that they need to vote on which position they should take, and the audience was primarily Christian. Guess what? Most Christians would probably side with your average pastor. Let's say it's a debate between a pastor and a and an unbelieving rabbi, an unbelieving Jew. I think that most Christians would probably side with the pastor based on their understanding of the, of Paul's passage about uh, circumcision. But this, in my opinion, is an unfortunate. Um, reality, because Paul didn't preach against circumcision. And that's why we need to exegete Galatians a little more carefully. When Paul mentions circumcision, he doesn't necessarily have the surgical act in view, although it's included in his term circumcision, but rather he's often focusing on the social religious meaning of the term to identify Jewish identity and or Jewish um, conversion. Uh, in other words, circumcision meaning Jewish identity for the ostensible or supposed covenant membership that it provides for the initiate. You know what I'm saying? So let's keep reading. Um, Basically, it appears that ancient Israel turned circumcision into a mark of Jewish identity. And we know that because you can read through the Bible and you can find passages where the reference to circumcision really means Jewish people. Um, So basically, ancient Israel turned circumcision itself into a mark of Jewish identity and then created social policies that enforced a Jewish-only membership into its covenant communities along with its concomitant Torah observance and maintenance of membership. Let me pause again. Essentially, I don't think Paul ever has a problem with circumcision at all, per se. Rather, what Paul needs to do is he needs to carefully examine the motives behind any given community's Um, desire to keep circumcision. And so what Paul would do is, if he suspects that any given Christian community, not, not unbelieving Jewish, but Messianic community, Jews and Gentiles and Messiah, if Paul suspects that that community believes or hopes that by becoming circumcised they become covenant members in Israel, and then they take on the Torah so that they can become righteous in God's eyes, If Paul has that suspicion, then Paul is going to enforce a a group policy, what we call halakha, or possibly even um, something stronger, some type of a uh, church um, rule, a membership rule, that would forbid circumcision until the group properly understands the, the true biblical meaning of circumcision. And we could parallel this with, say, baptism today. Those of you who are Christians that do not espouse to the idea that baptism saves you, but rather baptism is a subsequent act that comes along after you get saved, and baptism then becomes a public sign of your genuine salvation right in other words you you make a confession towards salvation, and then typically you know they say you go down the aisle and you make a you 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 publicly profess or you, you accept Jesus, you go down the aisle and you accept Jesus, you say the sinner's prayer, etc. And then typically you make a, a schedule with the pastor or the leadership to be baptized either that day or maybe if a week or so later. But the point I'm trying to make is that baptism usually comes along after you become saved, and therefore no one in the church confuses baptism with salvation. They don't think that baptism saves you. Now, there are a few unfortunate minority Christian groups out there that do believe that you can't be saved unless you're baptized, and they even go so far as to say that you can't even be saved unless you're baptized in their particular church, as if, right? So um, we want to see, basically, Paul's use of circumcision similar to this. Paul is not saying that, that circumcision is forbidden any more than a Christian group would say that Baptism is forbidden. But what if a what if a, what if an unsaved person went into a church, ran into a church, and pleaded with the pastor, "Please baptize me so that I can become saved." What would the pastor do? Well, the pastor would set him down. If he believes the way I believe, he would set him down and explain to him that baptism doesn't save him, and that the pastor would be more than happy to lead him, lead him in a sinner's prayer, bring him to acceptance of salvation. But the pastor would probably withhold baptism from that person. For so long as until the pastor feels that that new new Christian understands that baptism doesn't save him. Understand my, my analogy here? So I think that's what Paul would be doing as well. Paul is going to take circumcision away from those Christian groups, those Gentiles coming into Israel. He's going to take circumcision and he's going to withhold it from them until they are strong enough in their faith to understand that to walk into circumcision is not wrong, but that it doesn't change your status from Jew, Gentile to Jew, and it certainly doesn't bring you into the covenant of Israel. Rather, circumcision is simply another one of the commandments that are enjoined upon covenant members. So I think that's what Paul's going to do with circumcision. So hope that makes sense to everyone. Let's keep reading through my commentary. Uh, let's see, we're in this paragraph now here. Paul's works of the law phrase surely includes Torah observance on some level. That's what I want everyone to realize. I'm not trying to say that works of the law doesn't include Torah observance. Rather, that observance is identified as legalistic or not. This aspect of works of the law is quite easy to ascertain from the way Paul uses this phrase in his letters. However, it is the social religious aspect of this technical term that seems to be largely absent from many mainstream Christian commentaries. The Church seems to have forgotten, or doesn't know, that Torah in ancient Israel, as it does today, plays a vital social function to shape the very foundation and patterns of religious Jewish life. If Jewish Israel had shared this religious foundation of Torah with the rest of the world, the way she was supposed to do, you can read Deuteronomy uh, four five through eight and Isaiah forty two four as well as Isaiah forty nine six, and read Matthew five fourteen through sixteen. If Israel shared the Torah the way they were supposed to do, then I suppose Paul would never have needed to pen his famous words in Galatians. After all, let's see what I want to do. I think I want to uh, read one more paragraph, and then I'm going to turn to Romans two and start. Uh, Continue to exegete where we left off last week. Starting in the commentary on top of page 20, as far as Israel, uh, re- re- referring to Israel sh- supposedly, supposed to be sharing the Torah with the rest of the surrounding nations, that's not what happened, is it? Sadly, national Israel began to boast about this possession called Torah to the exclusion of anyone else who did not belong to Jewish Israel. Thus, I maintain that Paul uses works of the law in his letters to identify ancient Israel's wrongly imposed ethnic markers, identifiers which in turn function to regulate Gentile immigration into Israel's, into covenant Israel with circumcision slash proselyte conversion, describing the legal Jewish status needed to belong to the people group of Israel. You know what I'm sa- understand what I'm saying? Works of the law implies a a limited use of the Torah from a Jewish-only perspective. And so, works of the law does include keeping the law. It does include Torah commandments. When Paul says works of the law, it it does, in fact, include, it does imply keeping the Torah. But the reason it's so troublesome to Paul is because of the way the Torah was being exclusively used and utilized by the Jewish community to the exclusion of the Gentiles who were wishing to both join Israel as well as enj- uh, enjoy the blessings of Torah, and so the the kicker, the 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 clinch, uh, the 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 crux of the matter, the 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 line of demarcation, if you will, is the Jewish ethnicity. That's the point I'm trying to bring into focus when I describe works of law according to the way I understand Paul. Works of law is primarily the the exclusive Jewish use of the Torah instead of a universal use of Torah. Understand? That's more or less how I understand works of law. So, the way we could apply this is that for Jews, works of law was this concept that included their Jewish identity that they gained by birth, as well as the maintenance of Torah for Jews only in order to stay at, to, in order to remain in the covenant of Israel as a Jew. So that's what works of law would imply for Jewish people. And for Gentiles who were not born as Jews, obviously, that's why they're Gentiles, works of law for them started with the proselyte conversion ceremony, which of course included the mikvah that we talked about earlier from the Talmud. so, For them, works of law, the package deal called works of law, the phrase works of law, implied first the conversion to Judaism. In other words, they need to pick up their Jewish status first. And then maintaining their position in the covenant the same way the Jews do, which is keeping the Torah for the ostensible righteousness that it afforded them. And so when Paul talks about works of law, he's not simply focusing on Keeping the Torah—that's the point I'm trying to make to the Christian church. Those of you who are listening to my commentary, who are more or less familiar with this, the traditional Lutheran/slash Reformation view of Paul, and have been taught that works of law simply means merit theology, or simply means works done in obedience to the law. If you've not been taught that works of law also includes the 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 um, exclusive Jewish element, the exclusive Jewish. Part of keeping the law, or the 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 um, keeping of the law exclusively as a Jew, well then I'm afraid that you probably you're probably not going to understand Paul the way he needs to be understood. Okay, <clears throat> so let's uh, now finish this. Let me finish this paragraph real quick that's in front of us here in class, and then I'm going to turn to Romans and show you how it's better to understand Paul the way I'm describing them than to describe him the way, and to understand him the way that traditional Reformation Lutheran Paul has traditionally been um, interpreting Paul. Uh, So I left off in the middle of the paragraph. It appears then that Paul did not invent this term, works of law, but was instead using language familiar to Jews and likely many Gentiles of his day. To be sure, works of the law is not exclusively Pauline. However, up until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, Pauline authors believed it to be a phrase, perhaps invented by Paul, since it had no direct equivalence in extant literature anywhere. The ancient Hebrew fragments from Qumran, however, specifically the one classified as 4QMMT, changed all of that. And we'll stop there, That's what we're going to pick up next week with, with uh, talking about how works of law shows up in the Qumran document of 4QMMT on the top of page 20, but for now... <clears throat> Let's turn to Romans chapter two. And you recall last week I was exegeting this passage. What I mean by exegeting is we're simply reading through it and expounding on what we read, where the word exegete means to take out of the passage the meaning that was implied by the passage. And exegete, the word ex in exegete, the first two letters, ex is from the Greek word meaning to come out of or or from or of. And so we want to take from the the passage. We want to glean from the passage the meaning that Paul put in it. We don't want to insert our own meaning. That would be to eisegete. We don't want to eisegete. We want to exegete. Understand? So let's exegete the passage. And I left off in... Um, I think I left off in around verse 17 of chapter 2. So that's what I've got pulled up for us. And uh, I'll just pick up the reading there. Give me a moment here and I'll scroll into it for you. All right. Um starting in verse 17 of Romans chapter 2. This time this is ESV. I'll just read verse by verse and just kind of explain the way I understand it. Paul is uh, let me back up for a second and get the context. Paul has been talking to his Paul has been talking to his audience via his letter. And he hasn't visited the tr- the the community in Rome yet, so he's writing this letter beforehand before he goes. And of course, Paul knows that in the congregation at Rome, there's going to be Jews and Gentiles who are going to be reading his letter. And so, Paul is kind of singling out the different social groups within his letter. First, Paul talked about the Gentiles, who are those, and he described them as those who essentially are raised without a, a Torah environment, meaning they don't have they're without the laws, how Paul describes it. And then he starts turning to those people who are Jewish people, who Paul knows that they have been brought up with Torah, but he also knows that the, that within the, the the Jewish audience of his letters, of his readership, he's going to have both believing as well as unbelieving Jews. It's no different than any church today. When a pastor starts preaching, he knows that everybody he's preaching to is not a believer. So he's going to have to structure his sermon to hit both believers as well as unbelievers. And so Paul's going to do the same thing. And so starting in verse 17, Paul says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. Now, in what way would Paul describe Jews as relying on the law and boasting in God? Relying on the law. This is what I mean that Paul's starting to introduce this concept that the Torah had taken on kind of a social status within Judaism of his day. The Judaisms of his day had used the Torah more or less like a a social badge that separated them from the from the other ethnicities around them, specifically from the non-Jews. And so the Jewish people were essentially saying, we are who we are because of our possession of Torah. And that is a misuse of Torah. That's not the way Torah was designed to function. The Torah was not designed to separate Jew from Gentile. To be sure, the Torah is a, a light to all people groups. It is it contains the gospel which according to Genesis chapter 12 um, is for uh anyone both Jew and Gentile what what is, what is Gen- uh, Galatians? I'm sorry what does Gen- Genesis 12 say and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed god speaking to Abraham well how can all the nations of the earth be blessed through Abraham if only Jews are blessed understand so the gospel itself is that is 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 at stake here when when we talk about the the Torahs for Jews only, or we talk about that circumcision is a, a an identification of an indicator of Jewish only, then essentially we are we are upsetting the picture of the gospel itself, and that's what's at stake in Paul. That's why it's so so grievous for him to accept the mistaken notion that Jews and only Jews can keep the Torah, or that the Torah was for Jews only, and to accept the mistaken idea that Jews and only Jews can be genuine covenant members. And that's why Paul is going to say, no, no, no. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, right? Later on, we're going to see that they boast in the law. I just realized I did read this part last week, so I can actually start jumping down now to, say, verse 25. Um, let me see if I want to pick up some of you, to teach you, why you preach. Okay, actually I want to pick up the reading in verse 23 speaking of the Jewish people you who boast in the law dishonor God notice now they went from boasting in God in verse 17 to boasting in the law in verse 23 and that's I think what Paul's trying to subtly get across is that the Jewish people to boast in God is good but to boast in the law to the exclusion of actually let me, let me back up To boast in God to the exclusion of the other people groups is bad, and likewise to boast in the law to the exclusion of the other people groups is bad. Paul's going to to be upset at Jewish boasting to the exclusion of other people groups. That's the whole point I'm trying to make. And that's, I think, the context that we have to understand in this section here in Romans as we're working our way towards Romans 3.20, where Paul says it's not by the works of the law. And so, in, in verse 23, you who boast, you Jews who boast in the law, I might add to the exclusion of the other people groups, dishonor God by breaking the law. And he goes on to say, for as it's written, is what we would read in the Greek, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you. And we already talked about how they, they would break the law, because they would rob temples, they would steal, they would commit adultery. The examples that Paul just gave us in the preceding Pasukim, the preceding verses. Let's keep reading. Verse 25, watch this. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes earned circumcision. Now what's Paul saying? Remember, the phrase circumcision in Paul had already by Paul's day become a metonym for Jewish identity. So Jewish identity indeed is a value if you obey the law, is what Paul's trying to say here. Being Jewish, I mean he just said it in verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew, we could we could insert that down into verse 25, for uh, if you call yourself a Jew, it is indeed a value if, if you obey the law. Or we could transpose circumcision back up into verse 17. But if you call yourself The circumcised, or if you call yourself circumcision and rely on the law, that's what so we could interchange those two phrases, Jew and circumcision. For circumcision indeed is the value if you obey the law. And I've I've gotta clarify this. I'm not saying that just because by Paul's day the phrase circumcision was a metonym for Jewish identity, that it is exclusively Jewish, that circumcision exclusively means Jewish. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm simply trying to say that by Paul's day, the Jewish people, the Judaisms of his day, were using the phrase circumcised and circumcision as a functional way of saying Jewish identity. But it doesn't mean that circumcision makes you into a Jew if you were a Gentile. Are you guys confused? I hope you're not. In other words, test case, Acts chapter 16, Paul circumcised Timothy, whose father was a Greek, whose mother was a Jew, by all uh, sense of reckoning, if, if we gain our understanding from the surviving literature of, of that day, which would be the Ptolemy, if because um, uh, Timothy had mixed lineage, uh, both Jew and Gentile parents, then because his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek, by their reckoning, by first century reckoning, um, Paul, Timothy would have been a Greek. And so Paul had him circumcised in Acts chapter 16. So question... If circumcision turns you into a Jew, well, did Paul turn Timothy into a Jew by having him become circumcised? The answer is "Eh," no. Timothy did not become a Jew by becoming circumcised. And that's my point. And that's Paul's point as well. Paul was not putting Timothy through the proselyte ceremony, turning him into a Jew, in order to have him accompany him among the other Jews. Rather, Timothy was a saved Gentile, who simply took on circumcision so that Paul could prove to those other unsaved Jews that becoming circumcised as a Gentile doesn't turn you into a Jew. You see my point? And that's why Paul had Timothy circumcised, to prove his point, that becoming circumcised doesn't turn you into a Jew. And that's why Paul can say things like, being circumcised or uncircumcised doesn't matter. What matters is keeping the commandments, or what matters is um, a faith, faith working through love, things like that. That's why Paul can say those things. But it is equally true that the phrase circumcision and circumcised were metonyms for Jewish identity. So please don't get confused. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 25, For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. That is to say, the fact that you are a Jew and the law has been given to Israel and to the Jewish people, the fact that you break the law... Is kind of a contradictory contradiction in terms, because one of the commandments of the Torah is that you need to become circumcised and that you need to keep the Torah. The, the Torah itself commands us to keep the Torah, is my point. So if we're gonna keep the Torah, we need to keep the Torah. As if that isn't circular logic, right? But it is. If we're if we if we as Jews are going to claim to be Torah observant, then we need to do what the Torah says by being Torah observant. Because the Torah enjoins us, over and over again, to follow after the Torah. In other words, one of the commandments of the Torah is to keep the Torah. But another one of the commandments is to become circumcised. So Paul's simply saying that if you're Jewish and you're breaking circumcision, and you're breaking the law, and, and, and watch this, it's actually a kind of a subtle jab circumcision is of value if you break the ball, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcised, uncircumcision. So watch this. The Jewish person was circumcised, therefore his parents kept the law by having him circumcised when he was a baby. But now he grows up and breaks the law by robbing temples and, and committing adultery, right? Basically, he's thumbing his nose at the covenant, the covenant of circumcision, which... Enjoins us to keep the commandments. So that's the point I'm trying to make. So if a man who is uncircumcised, who would this be? A Gentile. If a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Be, be regarded by whom, by the way? By God, of course. In other words, God is going to notice that the man who is not even Jewish but yet keeps the law is counted as righteous. That's what Paul's trying to say in verse 26. So, if a man who is a Gentile keeps the precepts of the law, won't his won't the fact that he's un, won't the fact that he's a Gentile but keeping the law cause him to be regarded as a righteous person? Cause him to be regarded as a covenant member? Cause him to be regarded as included with those who are enjoined in the covenant of circumcision? That's what he's trying to say. Verse 27, Then he who is physically uncircumcised, the Gentile, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code, which is the Jew, and circumcision, but break the law. So watch this. The Jew who has the written Torah and circumcision, in other words, the Jew who has the written Torah and is a Jew, that's what he means by incircumcision, but breaks the law. In other words, they don't even keep the law even though they're circumcised. Later on in Romans, I'm sorry, in Galatians, Paul's going to level the same accusation at those agitators, those, those influencers, he's going to say, those of you who are circumcised don't even keep the law. Right? Same concept. Verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. And I might also add merely in between there for effect. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. I think the translator who added merely, the ESV, should have also added merely in between uh, uh, the word uh, uh, merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely. They should have added merely between circumcision and outward as well. Because what Paul's trying to say is that the person who is a Jew who is a Jew in in the flesh... um, is not all all that a Jew should be. It's not all that a Jew is, but it's not all that all that a, that God envisions a Jew to be. Because and Paul's speaking from God's vantage point when he says for no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. So what Paul's trying to say is no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. What Paul's really saying is People who are Jewish on the outside yet don't believe in Jesus yet, they're still Jewish, but they're not all that Jewish is, enti- is entailed to be, all that Jewish is supposed to be. And then he clarifies, or he he elaborates in verse 29, but a Jew is one, is I should add the word also, or I should also add the word um, primarily, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not only from man, or his praise is not from man, but primarily from God. Now, what's Paul trying to say? Paul's not saying that those who are Jewish outwardly are not really Jews. He's not trying to say no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Don't take that in this literal sense that Paul's not Paul is not saying that people who are Jewish but don't believe in Jesus, that they're not really Jews. How absurd, right? Paul's not saying that. If that were the case, then uh, Paul himself would would be confessing that he was not a Jew until he became became a believer in Jesus, and that all those who are Gentiles who are also circumcised in the heart are actually true Jews. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that those who have the inner circumcision, which Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus definitely have, Paul is not saying that they are the true Jews and that the fake Jews, the false Jews, are those who only have circumcision of the flesh. No, 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 that's not what Paul means. What Paul's simply trying to say, because remember, he started in verse 17, context is he's talking to the Jewish audience. But if you call yourself a Jew, dot, 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 that's verse 17. So we take that context and apply it down through the end of the chapter, which is verse 29. So the Jewish person who, here's what Paul's saying, and I'll, I'll close the commentary Close my uh, uh, teaching tonight, and we'll entertain questions and comments from the live class. What Paul is saying in verses 28 and 29 is simply this: the Jewish people who are physically circumcised are true Jews, but they are not all that a Jew is is uh, supposed to be until they accept circumcision of the heart. And so, therefore, the total Jew, the 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 fullness of what it means to be Jewish. Entails physical as well as heart circumcision, outward and inward. Together, those two entail what God envisions a the fullness of what it means to be Jew, which which is really a play on words. When um, Judah's mom conceived of him in the Torah, in uh, what is it Genesis, around chapter latter half, uh, chapter twenty nine or so, um, when she conceived and gave birth to him. If you remember, uh, when she when she, when he came out, she said, "I will praise the Lord." Therefore, she called his name Judah, Yehuda. And if we recall, this term Judah is rooted in the word Yada, and Yada is to to put forth by the hand to. Um, oh, let me just look it up here real quick, and I'll tell you. Uh, by the way, the reference was Genesis twenty nine. Um, Twenty nine thirty five. So we've got uh, Judah's mom giving birth to him, and she calls him Judah, meaning uh, because she says, "I will praise the Lord." So, and the word for praise is Yada, and the word for the Lord is one of the shortened names of God is Yah. So we've got Yah and Yada, and she out of that she gets Yehuda. So Yehuda is rooted in Yada, and uh, Yada means. well, Yehuda itself, Yehuda means praised, and and Yada, the the root word. Let's look that up real quick, and I'll tell you. Yada it means to throw or to shoot, to cast uh, with your hand. Yad means hand, so to throw something is is the verbal form, uh, Yada. And um, but one of the other meanings that gets pulled into this in the Hefel stem is to give thanks, to laud, to praise, right? To confess the name of God. So I like to think that Paul was aware of this play on words with, with Jew, Yehudi, Judah, Yehudah, uh, uh, Yehudim, the Jews, things like that, and, and this inter interplay between um, praising and God and the Jew who seeks praise from men and not from God, and yet Paul's going to say that his praise comes not from men but from God. You, see, you understand what I'm saying now? So the, the Jew should not be seeking praise from men, but should himself be seeking praise from God, and himself, he himself should be praising God. He should be a God-praiser. The, the Jew, I like to imagine, should be a praiser of God, right? So if the phrase Jew means a God-praiser, then Paul's playing with words here when he says the Jew... His praise comes not from God. The the God-praiser's praise comes not from man, but from God. You see my point? Paul's kind of playing with the phrase (laughs) God-praiser, because that's what a Jew is, a praiser of God. So his praise shouldn't be coming from man. His praise should be coming from God. Amen? Amen. And so with that, Paul's going to close the commentary, close his chapter, and we'll pick up the reading again in Romans chapter 3 and keep working our way exegetically toward this phrase works of the law, which I again maintain, does not primarily mean works done in obedience to the commandments or the Torah, but rather must imply this exclusive Jewish view of keeping the Torah and or becoming Jewish in order to be able to have the Torah, uh, or to be counted as a covenant member. Those are the those are the ingredients of works of law that I maintain must be included in our definition of works of law. Otherwise, um, we rip the context from Paul's phrase "works of the law," and we end up doing damage to the biblical text itself. Okay. With that, I'll uh, close in prayer, and then I'll open the room up for questions and comments. Okay. Let's pray. Abba, I bless your name, and I thank you for the opportunity to teach. Father, I pray that you will continue to challenge me as I study the text, as I um, read through my commentary and, and present it to the students. I pray that you'll continue to challenge me to grow further, to grow deeper in my walk uh, with with Messiah, in my, in my endeavor to be a better uh, uh, teacher among the students. I pray that you'll continue to challenge the students as they press in by the Spirit, by the power of the risen Messiah, to become also... Uh, stronger children of the living God. Father, we pray that you'll continue to protect us from the adversary. Help us to put on the armor of Ephesians chapter 6 so that we can take a stand against the wickedness of this age, so that we can take a stand against the devil and his, and his uh um, what do we say, the fiery darts. Help us to put on the armor of God so that we can be found strong in Messiah. Continue to bless us and to raise us up as a Messianic community, both Jews and Gentiles, proclaiming our love for Yeshua and our dependency upon Him alone. For in Him alone, our faith and our righteousness are secure. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son into our lives to do the impossible. Bless us, Father, as we continue this week to um, move in and among our own unique communities. Uh, bless us as family members. Heal us, Lord, and we will be healed. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in all these great things. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or New Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set His affection on your forefathers and loved them, and He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.